We just weathered the storm in the first half while playing in Dunedin and Buffalo, and we got here and started to, you know, play good baseball. We traded for Barrios. Our team really came together. We started to build a culture here. We had some fans to play in front of, um, and we became, in my opinion, the best team in baseball, but it was just a, a tick too late. Oh, yeah, tick too late. Marcus Simeon summing it up nicely and speaking like he's coming back. Welcome to Toronto today. Jim Taddy reporting here until 1 o'clock. Then it's gameplay with Matthew Cause. And if you're looking for Leafs lunch, it returns next Tuesday as the Leafs season gets set to start. The Leafs are in Ottawa tonight. Raptors at home to Philadelphia. First Raptors home game in 585 days. And Monday Night Football, Raiders and L.A. Chargers live here on TSN and TSN 1050. So let's get back to the Jays story. Wow, that was a day. That was something. The Jays absolutely destroyed the Orioles. So you could turn your attentions to the Yankees game and the Red Sox game. And bottom of the ninth for the Yankees, a walk-off situation with Judge driving in the winning run. And people were debating, you know, should they walk Judge or to load the bases or why would you do that? Because then you have to face Stanton. But either way, uh, the Yankees rallied bottom of the ninth, and you're going, okay, so let's go to the Red Sox-Washington game. And I don't really want to get into why there's an interleague game ending the season, but that's another story. And then Devers comes up with that uh, ninth-inning blast, two-run shot, and you go, oh, no. What an empty feeling that was. It was almost a sick feeling because the Jays had swept. They'd done their job, and then you remember the you know last loss to the Yankees, that sixth inning, uh, where uh, 15, I think it was, where Robbie Ray just got belted around, and you're remembering all that stuff in Tampa with the Agua under the bridge, and it just, oh, it just leaves you so frustrated. So, I mean, we have to pick up our pieces now. They were, what was their record, 91 and 71? Plenty of optimism here. There's all kinds of stuff here that that you're going to remember about this team, uh, uh, along with the fact that they didn't get in, but they left you with a lot of positive memories here. So, and let's go to the really the headline stuff. And that would be, you know, what happens next. And so Robbie Ray, is he going to return to the Jays? Here's what he offered up yesterday. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a, it's definitely an option. I mean, uh, you know, I'm sure we'll be in touch in the offseason with the front office, and, you know, those conversations will happen. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely an option. So he sounds positive, and, and why wouldn't he be? I mean, they really, you know, reconfigured his uh, his mechanics and, and turned him into a Cy Young pitcher. And so I, I'm not going to tell you that there's an obligation there because I don't think it works that way. But he he would feel comfortable with the pitching staff, the coaching staff, and and this is a good situation for him to do well. He may end up with a Cy Young award. Then there's Marcus Semyon, and you know, record for a second baseman with the homers, and he was very optimistic about coming back yesterday as well. Yeah, of course. I mean. We had the best offense in the major leagues and, in my mind, the best starting pitching in the game. How could you not want to be a part of that? Um, obviously, when you have those things set in stone, there's little pieces to add to get to the next level. Um, I'm one of them. I think our bullpen is another one. You know, we also have young young guys getting better. So we'll see what happens. But, you know, I had a great time here. I, I love the facility and everything that they offered for me to do what I wanted, you know, need to do to get ready for a game, and that's all I could ask for. Well, that sounds very optimistic. And, and just one of the things that is etched in stone, Guerrero and Semi and the fifth different pair of teammates in Major League Baseball history to each belt 45 homers in the same season. Last time it was done was 05, Ramirez and Ortiz in Boston, then at 01, Rodriguez, Palmero in Texas, and then you're talking about moments 
Maris Mantle, 61. Ruth Garrick, 31. Ruth Garrick, 27. What an elite class that is. That's what they had. That's that's what they had and came up just a game short. So, And this is the start of it. I mean, the way you look at this is, especially for Vladdy, this is the start. I mean, he's going to have 50 home run seasons. There's no question about it uh, and plenty to be optimistic about it. And here's the one thing that, that we have talked about in the past, it, the team chemistry, and it didn't look like it was there. I mean, you wouldn't see it when they're losing but when they were winning, how they enjoyed each other's company, how they enjoyed, you know, the fact that they were all playing together. And this is Bichette and uh, what Simeon means to him. And for you and your third MLB season, getting to play next to a guy like Marcus Simeon, who's been doing it for six years, respected veteran in this league, obviously. I mean, what did you kind of learn from him or, or take away from playing next to him for 162? Everything. Um, yeah, he uh, he's meant a lot. He meant a lot to me. Wow, there's some emotion there. Uh, it's just, it's a great story. It's, it's a story that reconnects with the fan base after just a weirdo pandemic journey. And, and here we are, very proud of a team that missed by one game. Later on, we're going to talk football with Trey Wingo, but now we're going to wrap up the Jay season. Keegan Matheson is here, Blue Jays reporter for MLB.com. Keegan, welcome. How are you today, sir? Doing well, Jim. How are you? Good. I mean, it's just, it's one of those things that you had to see to believe. Um, and I always go back to how would I describe what I've seen to somebody who was not into this? Uh, you know, and it's hard to find that person, certainly in the city of Toronto. But there's so many storylines here that you would take hours to describe, and they're all positive that, you know, this happened, this happened. They had to play home games in, in Dunedin, Buffalo, one in Anaheim, and, and a bunch in Toronto. And I mean, that's a story. Um, all the positive offensive, the, the, the starting pitching, so many positives, and then you have to finish it off with, I don't know if it's a punchline, they missed by a game. It's a weird story that way, isn't it? It is. When you list the individual accomplishments, if if you were explaining this to someone else, they have a probable Cy Young Award winner. They have two guys who will likely finish 2-3 in MVP voting, in Vladdy and Marcus Semyon. They have four 100 RBI hitters in their lineup, one of the best rookie pitchers. They had one of the best trade deadline additions in Jose Barrios. And the person you're telling the story to would interject and say, okay, they won the World Series, right? And no, it's not the case. It's it's such a strange ending to a season. And like Marcus Semyon said, and I agreed with him yesterday, saying that they're playing their best baseball right now, and it's just a bit too late. If this season was 164 games, yeah, they're probably in, but it's about cramming that into the 162, and it came just a minute too late. And really heartbreaking for the Blue Jays to see that happening at the hand of Raphael Devers, too, with that two-run home run. Uh, seeing that clear the wall with the fans at the Sky Dome still watching on, that was what an experience, just a, a gut punch for everyone at the same time. Yeah, it's it's wacky stuff. And, and I, I find, you know, when you project forward, and we'll get into this individually, but there's a there's like two storylines here. There's there's people that have had uh, career defining seasons with the hint of many more of those to follow. With even the numbers getting better, and you could certainly put uh, Vladdy and, and Manoa at the top of that list. And then you got to come back with a guy who could win the Cy Young, who's who's up for renewal. Uh, Mats, who's sort of forgotten it all this, up for renewal. And of course, Marcus Semyon, who set a, a major league record for home runs by a second baseman, up for renewal. I mean, there's a couple of uh, interesting angles here. There's all the people up for renewal, but there's that core of young guys that that are just scratching the surface. 
and you wonder where all that goes. It's interesting that way, isn't it? This is. This will be the most interesting offseason we've seen for the Blue Jays in years because last offseason when they brought in Semyon and brought in Ray, neither were expected to be anything close to this. Of course, you expected a bit of a bounce back from Semyon from his down 2020, but not this. And you did not expect a Cy Young Award from a guy who just led the planet in walks last year. That's not how this was supposed to happen. So they struck gold twice in free agency, which nobody does. That is amazing it happened this way. So the Blue Jays will need to prioritize Ray and Semyon. And if they don't get both of them, well, who's the next guy on the list? The Blue Jays should have a lot of money to spend, and they have that young core. But this is where the Blue Jays will be challenged by going from good to great. And that's a very difficult thing to do. It's not just as easy as bringing in a George Springer and saying there's the last piece. You've seen this year how fragile that can be and how close you can get and still not make it. So a major offseason for the Blue Jays. And Semyon and Ray, of course, both saying yesterday they'd be interested in entertaining a return, but everybody's going to say that. (laughs) Nobody is going to say, you know what, let me limit my market to 29 teams instead. They will say that, and they are going to have phone calls from everybody in Major League Baseball. So the Blue Jays will really need to step up in those negotiations. Well, let's go through this one by one. Let's go through Robbie Ray. And, and we had that, that piece that Steve Phillips did on SportsCenter where they, they broke down the mechanics and, and how they adjusted his delivery and, and, and solved a lot of his problems. And you'd like to think there'd, there'd be some sort of, um, some sort of loyalty there, but this is business. And, and so I don't know, you know, if, if he just takes what, what was given to him and, and goes elsewhere or appreciates it and, and finds a way to stay. I mean, at, at the end of the day, it's, it's dollars and, and cents here that the more dollars and cents that make this thing work, but, but, there might be another Robbie Ray out there, right? There's always that chance, and every team chases that every offseason. Every once in a while, you'll find that. You will find your Jose Bautista on a minor trade for a backup catcher and strike gold. But you're also going to chase that 100 times and fail to find it. We see it over and over in baseball, which is the ultimate prospect sport, the ultimate potential sport. And teams chase it and rarely find it. You get your Bautistas and your Rays, your Edwin Encarnacion's when he came over to the Blue Jays, but more often than not, you're not going to get that. And like you said, Jim, there will be some relationship there, and I don't want to minimize that either. A relationship with a team and, and with a pitching coach does matter for a guy like that and his confidence, You know, certainly with Pete Walker, who a lot of these pitchers absolutely love. But when you step back from that, I, I understand the, the fan emotional side of that, but For anyone, for a baseball player, for anyone in any job, the option to listen to 30 bidders for your services at the top of the market, man, that is attractive. That is an envious position. And Ray and Semyon, they will both be uh, phones ringing off the hook the moment free agency starts. Yeah, and, you know, nobody knows what's going to be said by all those other teams. You know, one team could say something and another team could add to it. It takes on a life of its own is what I'm trying to say, and you can't predict it. You've, you've paid, you know, to get to that position. You you owe it to yourself to go through the process, and it would be nice if he could stay, but I think everybody understands how this works. Let's go to, to Marcus Semien now, and, you know, clearly a record for uh, second baseman home runs, uh, and, and, you know, a nice one-two punch to say the least, and, and just the start of, uh, you know, a great batting order uh, but you know according to reports he wants to play short um, and, and you know they have some work to do on the left side of that infield how does all this work out now Semyon's case he will be so appealing to teams because yes considers himself a shortstop but 
if a team has an opening at second or short, I'm sure you could stick Marcus Semyon at third and he would be just fine. But his market will be massive, and especially at a premier position like shortstop. There are a couple of big money teams that need one, and he's going to be popular right at the very top of this market. Now, right now, handicapping very early, I would expect Ray to be a likelier return just in terms of what the Blue Jays need and where this could go. But Semyon is just coming off one of the all-time seasons really in the history of the Blue Jays for an infielder doing what he did, putting up those numbers, and his value to the clubhouse, these young players, the audio that you played off the top of Boba Chef and what he meant yeah. to a young teammate there, that is real. That's something we don't see a lot of, especially in COVID era when you're not in the clubhouse, you're not interacting personally as much. But there's real value to that. We don't know how to measure that as well as home runs and exit velocities and everything else, but there's a real value, and I think that's something the Blue Jays have long really cherished is – that clubhouse culture and leadership for a young core that doesn't always need it, of course, but you love to have it, especially in a guy that's that productive. And the trick is you could re-sign them both, and that would be nice. It doesn't guarantee anything uh, because it's it's the next season is a new season, and you don't know exactly how that will play out if everybody's healthy, if, if everybody makes the same contribution or more. And when I think of that, I, I think of Springer, and, and I just I, th- I know I've asked you this before. If this guy had been there all the way through, that we're we're not talking about a one game deficit. We might be talking about being in by several games, right? Oh, absolutely. With Springer, when you're talking about the time he missed early and then coming back a few different times, Jim, with the playing at not 100% whatsoever, not himself, when you got glimpses of the true George Springer, man, oh, man, you see why the Blue Jays gave him $150 million. You see why he is one of those new faces of the franchise. The talent is undeniable, and he does it in every phase of the game. Defense, power, hitting for average, everything. But the Blue Jays, really across the board, had so many things go right, but a couple of those things that did get in the way with those injuries. And that's really the, I think, the big storyline entering next spring, Jim, is can everything go that right again? Is this who Vladdy is every year? Is this who Teoscar and Bobachet are every year? Not only do you have to fill some holes, but you have to keep everyone playing at this level, which, as we know in baseball, you'd like to think that's going to happen year after year, but it doesn't. Yeah, that's the truth of it. I mean, I, I think uh, human nature is you always look at the positives and, and sort of expand on them, not because you can't possibly predict the, the you know the, the speed bumps, the downturns, because they they just sort of happen, and you have to come up with that solution right away. Uh, one of the issues would would be the bullpen. Uh, how do they? Are you happy with what they have? What do they need to add to it? They definitely need to be aggressive with the bullpen next year, and this could be as simple as just spending a bit more money. That is not the real money ball or analytic approach, but the Blue Jays in in past years have done really well, I think, with finding low-end or mid-range relievers that turn into something a bit more valuable than their contract suggests. They have done a good job with that. They'll have Meza, they'll have Romano, they'll have Simber, but at this point it might be time to shop a little more towards the top of the market where you are closer to guaranteeing yourself some real money in that bullpen and you're never going to guarantee it with a reliever. Goodness, uh, this season might have looked a lot different if Kirby Yates were healthy, if David Phelps were healthy. But when you're rolling a dice already, it's such an unpredictable position. I think this is where the Blue Jays might push in a little more aggressively because next season could very easily be decided by one game. We could be sitting here 
a year from yesterday, watching another crazy Sunday to finish the year. And that's really when you start to nitpick, thinking which one game over the year could have gone differently. The first place your mind's going to go is always the bullpen. Okay, let's touch on a couple of narratives that are sort of buried under the surface. Um, the first one would be the manager, Charlie Montoya. How would you rate what he's done, and, and, and you know, does this continue forward? Yeah, I believe it will continue forward with Charlie Montoya and the Blue Jays from here. And we saw a lot in the year where Montoya was, I guess, more of a, a people manager than a, a baseball manager, just trying to manage personalities, young players and veterans as they move from city to city. That became a bit of a different job description, you know, one that the other 29 managers might not have had. But the Blue Jays were happy with how Montoya managed that. And then we did see a bit of change in his tactics towards the end of the season, Jim, which is what I was looking for. You know, September was going to be where we saw the true Charlie Montoya. How does a manager handle big moments? Are they aggressive? Are they pulling players out after mistakes or letting them have a longer leash? And this Blue Jays team has been about development for a couple of years. And sure, if a guy makes an ugly error, you let him go out and learn from it. But when it's time to compete, you can't do that anymore. There need to be more repercussions for that and more of a demanding for excellence. So I, I think you'll see a bit more of that from the Blue Jays. I think you need to see a bit more there. But uh, I'd expect that to continue on with Montoya. Okay, let's go down another road, and, and that would be the, uh, the sort of nomadic life they've had. Uh, Dunedin, Buffalo, uh, home game in Anaheim, and, of course, uh, the rest of the local ball yard. Uh, this is a, a real chore, and in the end, the, you know, the, you end up with the, with the final line on the story. They reconnected with their fan base, which wasn't really a surprise, but it was nice to see. It was quite a journey that way, wasn't it? That really was. And, you know, Jim, at points I was down in Dunedin, and you were just, I, I was nervous I'd be typing too loud. The broadcast might pick it up. It was that empty. It was that quiet. And it was not a major league atmosphere. And nobody expected it to be. It was a minor league ballpark in Florida. It was not the Sky Dome. But it was not an atmosphere of major league baseball. And even just seeing some old highlights yesterday watching back when Vladdy would hit a home run, and instead of going into fans, it would just bounce into a schoolyard. That's not Major League Baseball, but it had to be for a little bit. Buffalo was a bit better, and then you finally saw back here in Toronto the actual impact of that. Because this has been a storyline all year, and it's been difficult on the Blue Jays. At the same time, when they played in Buffalo and Dunedin, the road team had to travel there too. They all played in the same ballpark. But I think you saw when the Blue Jays were back here a sense of being settled, and a sense of finally having some support behind them. Because this is a team that plays with a lot of emotion, a lot of personality, and I think a team like that really takes crowd energy more. Now, that can help you or hurt you, but you saw when it was working for this Blue Jays team, I think that really energized them. I mean, what you've talked about there is really a logistical nightmare. I always think of the players, their living conditions, uh, and the, the poor people in the front office that have to line all this up in three different cities, uh, the families and, and how much stress there is. And, and, of course, then you've got the possibility of, of an outbreak in a pandemic. The stress level for all that stuff has nothing to do with baseball, but it, it is enormous, isn't it? Oh, it has to be. I mean, yesterday I was stressed because I had a flight booked to New York and Boston making sure I got that canceled. And that's a drop in the ocean compared to what the Blue Jays had going on. And if you are a, a young player, a single guy, no kids, it's a little bit easier. You have to worry about yourself, getting to the ballpark, eating, working out. That's doable. 
But for a lot of these veteran players with young families, with their spouses there and having kids around, trying to get families across border or traveling, you're dealing with your vehicles. You're dealing with apartment leases. You are dealing with trying to get to the new ballpark, not having the facilities you need. So much of it is off the field. It is about not being able to wake up in your own place, take a shirt out of your own closet, make breakfast in your own kitchen, simple little things that seem 100 miles away from baseball, but it's that sense of routine. And if any athlete likes routine, goodness, it is a baseball player. That is their life built around it, and that element of routine was disturbed for about four months of this season. Keegan, let's let's end on this. I mean, how would you describe what you've seen for me it's it's a it's a team that overcame a lot of obstacles has a great future um and has to make some very tough decisions uh, but one way or the other it all tracks positively how would you describe this going in a very positive direction and a dose of reality of what this era of baseball will be as you're coming up out of a redeveloping rebuilding era everything's exciting because it gets better year to year Then you hit a bit of a wall. This happens in every sport where suddenly you're competing with the big boys at the big table. And there's going to be heartbreaks like this. There are going to be times where being good is not good enough. You have to be a great team. So I think that's a real lesson in this and a bit of a reality check for for the Blue Jays and many fans. But it's a sign of something good happening eventually. They had hoped it would be this year, but certainly moving in the right direction. They have the youth. They have the payroll available. This should continue in this direction, continue better, and ideally this is something that is learned from and used as a springboard because this is not like 2016 with an older roster that seemed like the end of an era. This should be the start of something. Keegan, thanks very much. Really appreciate it. You got it, Jim. Take care. That's Keegan Matheson, Blue Jays reporter for MLB.com. If you go to MLB.com, it's a great story wrapping up the season that uh, Keegan has put together. Uh, you know, you think back on it, I always deal with vibes, little little highlight things in my brain. So I go back to the Agua under the bridge, that, that whole series in, in Tampa was sort of had a, a, a weirdo feel to it, uh, the Robbie Ray performance uh, where it just unraveled uh, out of nowhere against the Yankees, and then yesterday, uh, Urshela, Gio Urshela from the Yankees, uh, you know, full blast with a catch into the Tampa dugouts. I mean, oh, my goodness. You know, you, you, you watch that, and you go, he must have hurt himself, and then you realize when he didn't, you go, he landed in just a puddle of, I hope you're not eating your lunch, just a puddle of crap on the floor uh, because, you know, what baseball players do in the game zone with the sunflower seeds. Uh, and then the umpire did the, the header in to, to make the call. I mean, Wow, if that's the kind of thing that's going to happen, and then, you know, two on and, and judge comes up and you're going to walk him to, to get to Stanton, but you don't walk him and, and he, he does a walk off, uh, base hit, to RBI, and so the Yankees win that. And then you watch the other game, you see Devers with the, with the crank. I mean, this, this ball was cranked in the top of the ninth, and you go, wow, it's, it's like this bunch of things that just collide, and you go, that happened. Unbelievable. But, you know, it can go the other way. We've seen it. We saw the two World Series uh, many years ago here. And so uh, this is what happens when you lose. There's not a lot of analysis required. It just didn't work out. And that's really my theme for a lot of these things. We overanalyze. It just didn't work out. You did everything you could. It just didn't happen. So that's this year. We'll see what happens next year. Going to talk football next. Trey Wingo will stop by. Oh, the Brady thing. I mean, that was just wall-to-wall coverage yesterday. Unbelievable. But 
Very believable because you saw it. This is Toronto Today on TSN 1050, live on your radio, live streaming, podcasting, and on-demand on Apple CarPlay and Android Auto through the iHeartRadio Canada app. Now, back to Toronto Today. You coached Tom Brady in practice for 20 years, but this is the first time you won uh, head against him in a game. What was the experience like going... Uh, we, look, we went against Tom Brady every day, every day in practice defensively. So it's not like we've never seen Tom Brady before. Was the experience of coaching against him in the game any different? Yeah, they're a good football team. He's a great quarterback. I mean, I think that's all goes without saying. Now, that was a fantastic uh, comeback by the reporter to go back to his original wording and that's how we got bill to answer that question otherwise bill was going to growl at him well he did but nonetheless uh, the bucks win 1917 a 56-yard field goal rings off the post in the driving rain as the patriots come oh so close uh, let's analyze this let's bring in trey wingo host of half forgotten history podcast and chief Prince officer and brand ambassador for caesar's sports book which we'll, we'll explain later on but we're going to talk football now trey welcome in how are you today i'm good man how are you Good, good. Uh, you know, the, the Brady stuff yesterday was, was um, you know, the, there's massive interest in both these guys, Coach Bill and, and Brady, because of what they've done. But, I mean, literally, you know, outside of recording the inhales and exhales, I mean, everything was there, right? It was crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. The game was close. I'm not sure it was that wildly entertaining. Um, uh, you know, Tom was certainly not sharp. I, I think that... Uh, Obviously, you know, he, he sort of proved he was human last night because I definitely think the emotions affected him uh, as well as the weather. You know, it was windy, it was rainy, but that was, that was not peak Tom Brady in any way, shape, or form, and I think three things contributed to that last night. One, his dealing with the emotions of the night. Two, the weather. And three, the Patriots' defense is really good. Like, it's a really, really good defense, the problem for New England since Brady has left has been the other side of the ball. They cannot find ways to generate enough points. Well, if anything, and you know, may, you may have looked at this differently. I, I thought I, I learned more about Mac Jones than I'd ever known, and, and I thought he really, uh, he really uh, played well and, and sort of looked like he uh, matured on the spot. What was your read on his play? Yeah, he played great. Um, he really did. You know, he, he threw for more yards and had two touchdown passes. Tom didn't have a single touchdown pass. Uh, also threw an interception uh, that he sort of got baited into, but that's part of the learning process. Um, I, I thought Mac played – look, this loss is not on Mac. Uh, you know, the, the, the Patriots' problems right now are still the problems they had in Brady's last year. You know, I mean, in, in 2019 when Tom was there – his receivers were Nikhil Harry and Jacoby Myers. In 2021, their receivers are Nikhil Harry and Jacoby Myers. And I think we can all come to the conclusion that in this day and age in the NFL, that's just not good enough right now. That agreed. Uh, I just want to sort of wrap up the Mac Jones conversation. If you had to redo that draft, would he go higher in your mind now based on what you know about him after four games? Well, look, every quarterback that was taken early has struggled this year. Uh, and I think that, you know, Zach Wilson finally played okay yesterday and Justin Fields played a lot better yesterday and Mac played better yesterday. I, I, I don't have enough data on any of them at this point to say absolutely I would regrade them all, including Trevor Lawrence, you know, who finally had his first interception free game in the Thursday night loss. Um, 
there, there's to me, there's just not enough material out there to, to sort of go back and rework anything at this point. Uh, let's let's move over to the Bills, who absolutely crushed Houston uh, yesterday, uh, wiped them out, uh, and, and you know what, forty to nothing. I mean, this is a this is a, a great story, no question about it. I guess the ultimate question would be, how good are the Bills? Well, you know, I, I put it out there yesterday that I, I don't know if there's a more complete team in football in terms of both sides of the ball. And, yes, they're not an undefeated team. They had a bad loss week one, but that was a sloppy game. You know, I just to me, that week one game, I think we're going to see a lot more of that as we continue in this new paradigm in the NFL where you really only have uh, three preseason games and nobody really plays in them anyway. So I think more often than not, we're going to see some week one clunkers from teams. But, you know, People always say, well, who did they play? Well, they haven't played anybody good. Okay, fine. But you know what you play? Your schedule. And you know what you're supposed to do against bad yeah. teams? Beat the crap out of them. And guess what the Bills have done? They've beaten the crap out of bad teams. Uh, I looked this up yesterday. They're just the third team since 1972 to have two shutouts in the first four weeks of the season. The other two teams... The 91 Ben Redskins, now Washington football team, and the 2000 Ravens both went on to win the Super Bowl. So you can, you can sort of, you know, make fun of their schedule. They can only play who they're supposed to play, and they're doing exactly what you would want a good team to do to bad teams. Kick their ass. So, you know, I, I just, I, I, if people are saying that, I'm like, okay, well, what, what do you want them to do? Make up another team that they want to play? They're doing exactly what you would want a good team to do. Yeah, and the team that beat them, the Steelers, have now lost three straight. What's your level of concern there? Oh, DEFCON won a hundred percent. You know, you know, Ben looks terrible. I mean, there's just no way around it. Uh, they they couldn't run the ball at all last year. Then their offensive line got worse this year, and somehow they thought drafting a running back would fix that problem, which is an absolute joke. Look, I think Najee Harris is a really good football player, but he's living proof that you could be really good at what you do, but if the people that are supposed to help you aren't any good at what they do, you're not going to be very good. I mean, their offensive line struggled in the run last year. They struggled mightily to try and generate a rushing offense, and they got rid of their two best linemen in Alejandro Villanueva and David DeCastro. So, of course, they're terrible this year. The Pittsburgh Steelers are in a lot of trouble, and I, I think that we're seeing the end of a Hall of Fame career in Ben Roethlisberger. You know, I was going to trumpet the fact I think there's better parity than, than there has been before, but then you have the Cards who, who beat the Rams yesterday 37-20 to go to 4-0 on the season. What's your take on the Cards? Well, I, I think that that was a big game for them. You know, uh, Matthew Stafford has played brilliantly this year, um, but they went into SoFi and they, they just punched him in the mouth. I mean, that was a physical domination. Uh, on, on really both sides of the football there. Uh, much in the same way, you know, the Cowboys sort of took it to Philadelphia on Monday night. It wasn't fancy. You know, they just beat them up on the, on the line of scrimmage, offensive line and defensive line. And, uh, you know, Kyla Murray uh, is right now a, a co-favorite to win the MVP, uh, according to Caesars, at plus 700. Uh, that was before the games on Sunday, and I don't think – Tyler nor Patrick did anything uh, on Sunday to diminish their odds of becoming the MVP. 
Stafford was uh, third on that list of plus 750, but obviously he'll take a little hit this week after what happened against the Cardinals. But give Steve Kime a lot of credit, man. You know, um, they they have believed mightily in the Kyler Murray uh, Cliff Kingsbury love affair, which goes back to high school for Kyler in McAllen, Texas. And uh, you know, I'm hoping these two kids can make it for the long haul. Let's talk about the AFC West, and obviously a big chapter tonight, Raiders and Chargers going at it, but also KC yesterday with a win to go to 2-2, two and two, and Andy Reid becomes the first coach to win 100 NFL games with two teams as uh, KC takes down the Eagles, which is kind of ironic for him. But nonetheless, uh, yeah. this game tonight, I mean, this is, this is huge as well. How do you see it? It's a great one. I mean, it's really good. You know, the, the Raiders are the first team ever in NFL history to start 3-0 and beating teams that all won at least 10 games a year ago. Now, I, I don't know how much to read into that because we all know this league changes dramatically year to year. Um, and Derek Carr is playing at an MVP level. But, you know, we've seen the Raiders get off to fast starts before. Their problem has been finishing. You know, they, they were 6-3 and a year ago and then lost 5 of 7 to miss the postseason. Now, I think the difference for the Raiders this year is on the defensive side of the ball. During John Gruden's first three years as the Raiders head coach, they were dead last uh, over those three seasons in most points allowed, over 28 points a game. Uh, and they're, they're going on at a clip of about 22 points a game this year under Gus Bradley as their new defensive coordinator. So uh, I do think the defense is a big reason why they're a lot better this year. And, you know, sometimes a subtraction can be addition. Like, they had Nelson Aguilar there last year, and he was sort of their home run threat, even though they drafted Henry Ruggs. Aguilar was getting a lot of those, those sort of play calls, the nine routes, the go routes, all that kind of stuff. Well, with him moving on to New England, where he hasn't been much of a factor, um, you know, those, those plays are now open for Ruggs. And we're seeing Henry Ruggs play a little bit more like we saw him play at Alabama now that he's getting the opportunity to have those kind of plays drawn up for him. Uh, the other side of it is, you know, Justin Herbert is just really, really good. And, and you know, when, when you look at that division now, uh, you have David Derek Carr, like we said, Justin Herbert, obviously Patrick Mahomes, and a steadying influence somewhat in Teddy Bridgewater, although he had to leave the game yesterday with a concussion. You, know, you can make the argument that the best quarterbacks uh, top to bottom are either in the AFC West or the NFC West right now. Those divisions are stacked. Trey, I appreciate it. On the way out, uh, tell us about your Half Forgotten History podcast and, and your role as Chief Trends Officer and Brand Ambassador for Caesar Sportsbook. Yeah, uh, Half Forgotten History is just all the stories that I've known and heard about with all the players over the years, and uh, whether it's football or golf, and uh, sort of the stuff that went on that somehow never made it to the air, and now we're making sure everybody knows those stories because they're great. I'm taping one with Tony Finau tomorrow. Uh, after his big win at the Ryder Cup, and you can find that wherever you get your podcasts or on my YouTube page, Trey Wingo Presents. We just crossed four and a half million views on that, which is awesome. And I'm working with Caesars with a bunch of people that I used to work with at ESPN. Uh, you know, I don't set the odds, but I, I try and tell you why the odds are the way they are. Uh, like why Patrick Mahomes, for example, is a co-favorite to win the MVP, because he's the fastest player over the 15,000 yards. He's the fastest player with the most touchdown passes and passing yards through his first 48 games, you know, and he, I mean, first 50 games, and he did it in 48. So uh, that's all the stuff I'm doing for them, and uh, I'm looking forward to that and, uh, you know, just uh, really enjoying myself right now. 
Good for you. Thanks, Trey. Really appreciate you stopping by. Thanks very much. Yeah, no worries, man. Take care. That's Trey Wingo, host of the Half Forgotten History podcast, and he told you where to get it, and Chief Trends Officer and Brand Ambassador for Caesars Sportsbook. So just going to wrap up on, on the NFL story, and again, wall-to-wall coverage. I don't know if you were watching even the, the pregame stuff that, that starts at noon on TSN yesterday was from New England. It was all Brady and Belichick all the, all the way through. I mean, it had Super Bowl ramifications to it in terms of the coverage, and, and literally every step that Brady took around that stadium was recorded and, and played back. Or, or cut into it was remarkable wall-to-wall coverage. He did speak, talked about his relationship with Coach Belichick. We've had a personal relationship, you know, for 20-plus years. So he drafted me here and had a lot of personal conversations that should remain that way, and they're very private. And I would say so much is made of our relationship. And, you know, as I said earlier this week, you know, from a player standpoint, you just expect the coach to give you everything he's got. And as a, I'm sure as a player, that's what he was hoping for me. But nothing's really accurate that I ever see. You know, definitely doesn't come from my personal feelings or beliefs. And I have a lot of respect for him as a coach and obviously a lot of respect for this organization and, you know, all the different people. People here that try to make it successful. I mean, and it was so successful. I think any any time something is that great, you 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 make the mistake of trying to break it down and and, and give credit. You know, give too much credit to, to certain components when literally it does take everything to have that happen. And obviously, these two guys are front and center, but there's a lot of other pieces there as well. I mean, literally everything has to collide and work together. And, and then, all, of course, these guys uh, would be the, the sort of the face of the success. But nonetheless, there's, there's a lot more to it than that. Uh, Tom Brady, uh, of course, after was talking about the opportunity to possibly come back to the Patriots, really. It's been a great stadium for me for a long time, so I don't know what the future holds. You know, obviously, there could be an opportunity to come back here, so we'll see. I, I feel like I'll always be a part of this community, and I'll be, I'll be up here quite a bit when it's all said and done. When I retire, I'm sure there'll be you know, a lot of time. <laughs> yeah, that'll set off. That's probably another book, right? Uh, so that, that the NFL concludes week four tonight. Raiders uh, visiting the L.A. Chargers. You can watch it on TSN, listen on TSN 1050. And, of course, we have the Leafs uh, in Ottawa. And I had to do a reminder, you know, suddenly the blue and white game took over everything, which never happens. Uh, you know, they did win 4-1 against Montreal, lost 5-2 to the Habs and 4 nothing over Ottawa. And so this is a big week, three games this week, and, and we'll, we'll sort of deal with that on the other side of the break. And, of course, the Raptors home to Philadelphia, preseason basketball at Scotiabank Arena. First game back, according to Josh Lewenberg, in 585 days. The boys are back. This is uh, quite a story. We'll develop all this stuff next. This is Toronto Today on TSN 1050, live on your radio, live streaming and podcasting, and on-demand on Apple CarPlay and Android Auto through the iHeartRadio Canada app. Now, back to Toronto Today. Welcome back. Final segment for Toronto Today. Today, and if you're looking for Leafs Lunch, I can tell you it returns next Tuesday, October 12th. Leafs Lunch back on TSN 1050. Up next, gameplay with Matthew Cause. Um, some time to go over a number of things. We were talking about the Leafs, so just trying to dig out uh, their playing uh, in Ottawa tonight. And uh, one of the lines you'll watch is Camp, Kashup, and Kerfoot Bunting playing with uh, Semyonov and Hosang. Uh, Engvall playing with Brooks and Simmons. Robertson playing with Amadio and Spetsa. Uh, and in goal, Campbell will, is expected to go all the way. Uh, but you, what you are seeing is as we get into the second week, 
And quite frankly, things have to happen fast. Here's how fast they're going to happen. They play in Ottawa tonight at Montreal tomorrow night, and Saturday they close off. I have to believe that uh, after the game Saturday, or sorry, Tuesday, there's going to be a lot of cuts, and you would like to believe that Saturday against Ottawa, I'm not going to say a starting lineup, but pretty darn close to one would ice because then they open the season on Wednesday, uh, October 13th. On TSN 1050, you'll, you'll hear that game. So, I mean, there's not a lot of time here. You've got two games really to, to sort of have those battles culminate and, and really, I don't know that you have to take a battle into the, the final preseason game. So that, that's, I, I already rhymed off who you're going to see tonight, who you're not going to see. And this is the way the lines are that practice according to Mark Masters. Uh, Matthews between Marner and Richie. So Matthews is, is, uh, upping uh, his game and, and getting back into it. Still haven't declared whether or not he's going to play in any of these preseason games or if he starts the regular season, but, at least they're working in that direction. And Tavares between Nylander and Mikheyev. So th- that's new is that Mikheyev's getting a long look there. Uh, and, and, you know, they're, they're really trying to get their pairings back to normal on the blue line. Uh, they're working with Sandine and Dermot and, and Muzzin and Hall. So, so again, trying to get things back to the way they're going to look. Uh, they've had three games to look at people in a blue and white game and all kinds of practices. And, and, you know, I don't know how much experimenting there's going to be tomorrow night. Uh, there seems to be a bit of it tonight. So we'll see what all this means with cuts up on Wednesday. So that, I mean, the, the, they have their, their roster sort of in their mind. I was going through this, you know, and if we had Richie would be on the left side of Matthews and, and Marner and Micaia possibly with, with Tavares and Nylander, you realize that Bunting's not there and Bunting has been one of the nice stories so far in training camp. So, you know, th- this is the kind of stuff you run into. And then if you have camp between Kasha and Kerfoot, uh, you realize that Bunting's still not there, and of course he's going to be there somewhere. And then you go down to the fourth line of, of Simmons and Spets and, and, and somebody. Uh, so, so maybe that's Kerfoot down there, but do you want to put him, do you want to have a $3.5 million center on your fourth line? I mean, they have too many forwards, is what I'm trying to say. And as you go through this, this exercise, you realize that, you know, Engvall, uh, I don't know where he fits. Uh, you know, he's obviously an NHL player. Brooks, I don't know where he fits. And then when you get to that, you have to say, so are you carrying 12 or 13 forwards? Are you carrying six, seven, or eight defensemen, you know, what are your limits with the salary cap? And that means people like Robertson, who was notorious with his hit on Marner in the blue and white game, and Gusev and, and Hosang. Hosang's look pretty good. You know, I, I still think he gets a contract and maybe starts with the Marlies. You know, there's, there's too many people there. There's no question about that. Great problem to have. Uh, the goaltending, clearly Morasic has, has really shone in his preseason games, and we'll see what that, what Campbell does tonight. Uh, and then there's, you know, the other thing that, that's come out of camp is Tavares and Nylander taking on more of a leadership role. Uh, you know, Tavares saying he's the captain. He has the leadership role. Notice that Nylander is taking on more of a leadership role. And so you look at that and go, okay, William Nylander last year had a good, pretty good playoff run, showed maturity, and now wants to take it a step further. And, and that has a sort of a, a two-way effect for me in that, you know, he's going to be better and maybe Matthews and Marner will see that and understand that, you know, they're probably a year behind him and, and they could do the same. And, and I really, I really think that that's the missing piece is for the core players to actually take over and, and add some maturity because they've certainly had their, their growing pains. There's, there's no arguing that at all. So, and, and I did read on the weekend that Tavares and Eli have challenged themselves to be better and, and, and do things a little differently. Which brings me to the all or nothing, uh, prime video series. I, I just binged it. I did all five episodes on the weekend. And I, you know, I don't want to get into, uh, I have a rough time, you know, sort of nailing people with what they say are the scene because it's edited. So here, here's a little thing that I used to do when I was in real estate. People would come up to me and say, well, I saw that, uh, that uh, property show and they, they did this. And I said, well, there's one problem with that. They'd say, what was that? I said, well, it was edited. 
They go, what do you mean? I said, that didn't really happen that way. It was edited to make you think that way, and you didn't see what was left on the on the editing floor. They go, what do you mean? I said, well, it's not a it's a true representation of that storyline, but not necessarily a true representation of what can happen. It gives you one idea of what can happen, but but not the whole story. Uh, and, and so I apply it to this. I can I can take you through what I saw uh, without spilling the beans because I don't know that everybody binge watched this thing, uh, and I boil it down to to a couple of things. Um, what I what I didn't see was at key moments I didn't see the younger core players have much to say in the dressing room. I did see uh, uh, some very uh, distraught players in that dressing room when things didn't work out. Um, I did see the Freddie injury, how it had. Uh, a dent, how it made a dent on, on the front office and, and, and the concern level. And, and of course, you know, we look at it from the outside. We're looking back on it as, well, Jack stepped in and did a job. Well, nobody knew Jack was going to step in and do a job. And so, uh, you know, you, you're looking at it retrospectively, but as it's happened, as it's being recorded, you can see the concern on everybody's face and, and sort of the, the mystery of, of what that injury was. So, so I did see that. I did see, and this was something I don't want to take out of, out of context, but, Nick Felino, when he first got to the team, was on the ice in a game and, and uh, was trying to sort of physically mix it up uh, with somebody. And when he got back to the bench, coach pulled him aside and said, yeah, we don't want to do that now. And, and the look on Nick's face sort of told me that, oh, he didn't agree with that. You know, he, you know, as anybody would, when you're on a bench and you're told something, you digest it and defer to the coach because he's the man. You have to, you have to respect him. You're not going to have an argument. But the look on his face told me that uh, that wasn't really what Nick had in mind. And I, again, I don't want to read too much into it, but there was some spontaneity taken out of a situation right there. And I thought it was noticeable to me. You you may look at it and see something different. And again, this is my interpretation on something that's edited, but it, but it left a mark with me for whatever it's worth. I I would suggest you watch this thing. It has uh, it gives you great perspective. It's not a it's not a Bible because as I, I'll say this time and time again, I like to qualify everything we're watching and digesting. It's edited. So it's edited to fit a storyline, and, and you know, you know what the storyline is. You, you may be looking for things that that aren't there. That doesn't mean they weren't there. It means that they weren't included in the story. So I caution you that way. But it is, it certainly adds perspective, and, and you see a lot of things. You know, I don't know how you, you look at things. I could see, I could read people's faces, and I could see what 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 they're actually telling me by not saying a word. Sometimes silence speaks louder. That, that's all I'm going to I'm going to leave it at that. So we've got NFL Monday Night Football. We've got Leafs against Ottawa, Raptors against Philadelphia. The NFL Monday Night Football game is live here on TSN 1050, and gameplay is next with Matt Cause.